Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world from border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea. I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning in to the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. I'm really pleased my guest today is Kel Pultz. Kel is the Chief Clinical Officer and Vice President, Government Strategy at MediQuant. MediQuant is focused on healthcare, data archiving, migration, and conversion. Kel, thanks for joining the Tate Chronicles today. Thanks for having me, Jim. It's nice to meet you. You know, good to meet you. Um, A lot of questions I I have for you. I'm looking forward to this uh, discussion uh, because underneath all this is we've got all the data, but what the heck can we do with all this data and how can we make it make sense? But first, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your background and also uh, about MediQuant, how it liberates data for health systems? Sure. So, um, Cal Pultz, Chief Clinical Officer, as you mentioned, I've been with MediQuant for about 10 years and I've been in healthcare for a little over 25. Um, I'm a nurse by by trade. So, uh, a long time ago, became a nurse in the field and so moved from patient care. So, I did patient care for several years and I had the opportunity to move into an informatics type role and I loved it so much. I have been in that space um, now for about 18 years. Um, helping to what what I hope is closing that gap between the clinical uh, at the patient care point of care, um, improving uh, best practices using research and um, and the providers. So there's a, there's traditionally there was a gap there, and I think that gap is slowly closing. But I've been fortunate to do that. So I've also uh, I'm at a quant. Um, I'm uh, as part of the government strategy. We do have a um, a contract with the Defense Health Agency, and I was fortunate to be part of that team that brought that in-house. And um, so you you did mention um, how MediQuant kind of liberates data. So MediQuant, our flagship product is called DataArc. And anytime that you've got data sitting in silos uh, out, out in an organization's uh, data center. So for example, you may have uh, moved to something like uh, a new EHR, Epic Cerner, they replace typically multiple other systems. And so you've got disparate data and disparate systems sitting out there. And it's difficult sometimes to get it all together and to move it into um, a format or location that you can utilize it. And so Liberate basically is setting something free. And so moving uh, the disparate data out of multiple systems into an active archive where you've got a single platform allows then uh, those those end users to be able to access that data, not just at the point of care, uh, but to uh, access it for research, analytics um, in a single location and and really get the value out of the data that you may have had locked in those other systems for years sometimes. Let me ask you um, about a particular scenario somebody asked me about the other day. So a a large hospital system maybe has been archiving their their data sometime and then they switch to kind of as you referred to Kel, uh, you know maybe uh transition to uh, a new ehr and so uh those records have to be kept i think it varies a little bit from state to state how long 
medical records need to be maintained. Uh, but a patient shows up and says, I want all my records for the last 10 years. Well, it, it may be easy to get the uh, current records out of the system, but those legacy records um, uh, that are in the archive, what are the possible ways to bring that data up? So you got two different systems, kind of the heritage one and the and the current one. Yep. So that's a that is actually um, a great question. It goes along with that ability to liberate the data. When you have uh, archived or older records sitting in those legacy systems, and you're one not only maintaining the cost for each of those systems because you have to be able to pull that data out for a legal medical record. Um, HIM then is required to go into the new EHR to get the current data out and then to each individual legacy system that you have to pull the data out of those particular systems as well. And um, it's it's time both time consuming um, and costly to be able to maintain that type of workflow. So when you get rid of the legacy systems, all the individuals, and you put them into one platform um, and you've got, so then you have all of your legacy data in one location. Uh, and then you have the new application and you're able to pull the data, let's say out of two systems or access even the archive from uh, your new system and pull them out of one system. At that point, it's it saves significant time for HIM. And then you're really looking at um, the process to get a patient's record to them uh, seamlessly, which is really what you want, especially with the Cures Act right now and uh, information blocking um, as a uh, you know, the new ruling around information blocking, you want to get the records to those uh, patients in a timely manner and a complete record. So um, there's a couple ways then you're you're saving that that kind of money. Now, talking a little bit about the data itself, um, we, you know, strongly recommend, I mean, there, there are some instances where you don't have a choice, but we strongly recommend that you store as much of that legacy data discrete uh, in your active archive as much as possible couple reasons for that, honestly. Um, you could store records PDF, um, but then you're you're not able to utilize that in any secondary manner, at least not easily. Mm -hmm. It's become it becomes costly to do that. But being able to to create the records, store the record discrete uh, as much as you can, and then um, pulling that information out of the system, whether it's for research, analytics, uh, pulling together your patient record to do trending, that type of thing. If your if your information is discrete in that manner, that will actually uh, be beneficial as well. So there's a lot of considerations when you're moving data from a legacy environment to um, to your active archive, and and we can talk a little bit about when I say active, but um, there is there are considerations that you really you know folks really should think about prior to deciding what you want to do with it, so you don't end up paying significantly more later because you made the wrong decision early on. Uh, in the uh, use case we're talking about, Kel, um, the uh, current EHR that might be uh, being used uh, has a certain database structure. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, uh, the, the heritage system uh, or legacy system uh, might have a different database structure. Uh, um, how is that archived data uh, archived? You know, is it uh, in file formats like CCDAs or is it in a certain database structure? Well, it, it really depends, Jim, on, uh, as you, you mentioned, allude to the, the database structure. So 
some of the legacy systems have limitations. Um, and it's not necessarily the database underneath it that causes the limitation, but it, it's probably uh, more related to um, the coding that's used uh, to create that legacy system. So you could have um, a MySQL system, for example, which is easily converted to SQL, but if you have some proprietary um, coding in that system, then the only way you can store, for example, uh, provider notes is in a in a maybe like a PDF document. You have to generate reports for that. So it varies between legacy system. So each legacy system, then you look at your your number one priority is to sort as much discrete as you can. Mm -hmm. um, in some instances, you don't have a choice but to put some of the data into a PDF type document, like a provider note. Um, or some are already stored in that format. Maybe you've got radiology reports. Um, uh, your images obviously are, are, are going to typically be, they could be in a blob in the database um, or it could be sitting outside the database. Um, but you, each legacy system is a little different. So when we take a look at that kind of thing, um, we have uh, you know, over the years uh, discerned how that particular, a particular legacy systems data has to be stored. And again, our first priority is always get as much discrete as you can. We know certain things are going to be stored as PDFs, but what you want to avoid is putting everything into a PDF uh, because you cannot easily get it back out again. Um, there are newer programs that are starting to work on that, but if you think ahead and store it discrete to start with, you don't have to go back later with another project and spend the money to to then take all those PDFs apart um, that you chose, you know, if you chose that route to start with. Um, so you're you're absolutely right. Moving it into then um, format that is not only readable um, but it is usable um, from a secondary perspective um, it is really the goal. Even if you're a small organization and you think you know we're never going to, you know we're not going to do research on it. You may be acquired by a large organization that will, or you may decide that you know what we're going to get into doing some research and grow your own organization. And you're going to be glad you did as much discreet as you could. Before we start recording, Kel, you know, I had a, a discussion about interoperability and the um, current and upcoming uh, TEFCA process. And a lot of the EHRs out there now, a requirement for a, a certified base EHR is to have a, a fire API. Um, and so, um, if uh, the requirement around information blocking, uh, is there any requirement that um, the Fire API or, or any other processes like that actually reach back into an archive? Um, absolutely. Uh, that's that's a that's a really good question. So originally, when the information blocking rule came out, we took a look at it. There was nothing in there regarding um, archive. Mm -hmm. uh, active archive. There's still, from a wording perspective, isn't anything in there. And Metaquant, early on, when that first came out, uh, we met and we talked about uh, the ruling that was, you know, going to be coming out. And we made the decision that even though there was nothing specific in there about archive, uh, that we were going to comply with this. That we we were going to ensure that we were fire ready. Um, that and part of that language, uh, even though it didn't spe specify archives, was designated record set. Yes. Um, when we store things in the archive, the active archive, um, our customers right now will rewrite what their definition of legal medical record is, and it does include the data that's in the archive. Therefore, from our perspective, it does mm -hmm. become part of the designated record set. 
And so we made, you know, the conscious decision to one, create a health regulatory committee internal um, in the company so that we could start tracking these things and to start immediately on building out uh, the US CDI uh, one to a three is likely to become the base based mm -hmm. on the, the new drafts that are out there right now for review. Um, and fortunately for us, you know, having the government contract, we started on fire very early in the process um, uh, because the government is is utilizing fire uh, transactions to send information back and forth between their systems as well. And our team uh, kind of has been leading that charge uh, for the for the fire transactions there. So we 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 did start very early in that process. Um, you mentioned Tefka earlier. The Sequoia project is is assigned to kind of lead that effort and. When the information blocking rule first came out, the uh, three of us went through their boot camp um, all the way back in, you know, uh, 2019 uh, to, to one, get familiar with what the requirements were going to be and see specifically how that would apply to us so we could start building our roadmap to be compliant and support our customers uh, who were, you know, the actors as well that were going to need to be compliant with it. We wanted to make sure we were ready to support them. So we, we've been doing fire for, for some time now and um, uh, I, we will continue in, in that path. And again, and again, our regulatory committee is monitoring these things as, it, as they come down and, and you know, providing comments and things back as the, the drafts come out for comment. You know, I think um, the whole, uh, there's still a number of, uh, if they're not gray areas, um, at least the gray areas may be in, uh, the fact that there are so many options uh, and ways to meet these changing requirements that it um, is sometimes, uh, well, I, I give an analogy. Um, we may want to build a pyramid. We can build it out of hay bales or sugar cubes. Probably better to build it out of sugar, I mean, hay bales. Um, and so uh, the way to remain compliant, uh, we're just starting to, I think, um, uh, come up with hopefully some best practices. Uh, but but let me ask you about another potential um, use case. Um, uh, so definitely uh, change is constant and there. We've got mergers and acquisitions across health systems every day. Um, and so as these mergers and acquisitions um, come into play, uh, somebody calls the uh, chief information officer or, or officers or uh, informatics uh, folks and say, uh, we, we have all these uh, various and redundant systems, and some of them are obsolete, um, and they don't know what to do. So somebody says, well, call MediQuant. Uh, and so if you if MediQuant gets that call, call how do you all move forward? What kind of services do you provide as far as consulting just beyond even the technology? Uh, well, we, we have something, um, you know, it's kind of a data stewardship project that we that we offer folks we do get these calls quite often as you know as you mentioned mm -hmm. there's a lot of merger and activity uh, acquisition activity going on in the healthcare space it is constant um, and divorces too right so we see them separating after a while also and that requires mm -hmm. some thought process to uh, what they do with the data so when there is a, a merger and acquisition what we usually see is um, the acquiring hospital so whoever is doing the buying um, they'll typically move the new hospital or 
provider office, uh, whatever it is they're acquiring to their platform, even if it's, let's say they're both Epic, they'll typically mm -hmm. move them to their instance of that application. And the sooner they start planning for this type of thing, um, the better uh, the better off that they will be in the long run. Um, because they're they're talking two different things. Sometimes they buy the financials, sometimes they don't, depending on how much is sitting out there to, to be collected. They may, you know, they may buy the financials, um, you know, especially if there are millions out there that they could recoup. I mean, it's a benefit for them. If there's not yeah. and the hospital's not doing well, they may not, you know, bring along the financials. But the clinical is is almost always a constant. You want the the clinical data out there. So part of the review that you know, we do is we take a look at um, the applications that the uh, acquired hospital or organization is bringing to the table. Uh, the hospital that is acquiring will, you know, say, well, we're going to move them all to this instance of Epic. And here are all the systems that they've got under their belt, you know, that we need to do something with. At that point, it becomes an exercise of, uh, of budgeting and planning because, um, when I say the planning part of it, typically there's a time period uh, that the acquiring hospital will have or, you know, um, to to be able to view into those those mm -hmm. legacy systems they're bringing over. And that right there is a gotcha moment mm -hmm. for those hospitals. By the time it gets to a CIO um, and they start looking at the project itself, they may be on a really short time frame where they're going to actually have access to that system. Um, simply because of, of software support end dates that are going to be coming up. So their choices are, you know, they're going to have to extend for another year and pay another couple million dollars to extend, um, or they're going to have to cut that time short. And so uh, there's there's a lot of, we call them fire drills, where they <laughs> bring them over and, you know, they have to be off in a really quick uh, period of time. Uh, or they're going to have to pay a, an extension on that mm. that data that they've just brought over. So part of the M&A activity that we recommend is, one, get somebody in there, uh, do a data stewardship engagement, we'll come in, take a look at what you've got coming over, take a look at all of the support end dates, what, what is the, the planning, how do you want to phase those in, um, which ones need priority because they've got the short dates on them. Um, but they're ultimately going to no matter what happens, they're ultimately going to need to do something with that data. Very little data um, gets actually converted. So into um, the new environment, especially if they're doing mergers and acquisitions, they don't want to bring, you know, data in from an old system they know nothing about. Sure. They prefer to put it into the active archive, access it from their current um, instance. And that is actually the cleanest way to go about doing that. But the timelines are the things that are the most um, or have the highest priority when we start looking at these things. Where are your support end dates? What systems are you bringing over? And let's get them planned. And and I have to say this because it happens a lot. I was mentioning the fire drill piece. If you delay signing your contract to get your archive started by three months, you can't expect to go live the same time uh, on, on your timeline. You got to bump everything out three months it's because we do see a lot of delays, delays, delays on things. And and the whole timeline gets moved at that point, not just, you know, we're, we're stopped we're starting three months later, but we want to go live at the same time. It doesn't work that way. You've got to think about those things when you're um, when you're doing your contracting, when you're doing your planning. Timelines move if you move uh, your start dates. That's just, sure. you know, it, it seems like it seems like that's a common sense thing. But I'll, I'll tell you, it, it just happens. And, and I think 
people are hopeful and sometimes just internal processes take a while. Um, but we were really strong about trying to set the expectations, realistic expectations, because we want to, the project to be successful. They want the project to be successful and no one wants to pay extra uh, fees for extending contracts on data that they acquired through, through M&A. You know, that makes sense. yeah, it makes total sense, Kel. Uh, thank you for that. You know, sure. uh, one of the things that has, um, I don't know if it surprised me or not, but that I'm aware of is uh, you, you read about these large hospital systems that go out and spend several tens of millions of dollars for a new EHR. Um, and uh, by the time they're finished, it's often tens of millions of dollars more than they think uh, they're going to spend. Um, be because they're just unknowns uh, out there. Uh, some of that has to do with estimates around training or uh, who knows what. And, and so certainly more than one CIO or CFO has had their career ended because there was a cost overrun and, and, and during a uh, transition to a new HR or to a, a large HR, you get in middle stream in the stream, you can't go back, you've got to go forward. And sometimes it's going to cost you a lot to go forward. Um, and so um, I, I kind of wonder about that. Do you see that uh, uh, in the whole area of uh, data archiving, which has to be done, to meet uh, compliance uh, regulations, uh, there's a tendency maybe to be uh, to underestimate what the effort is, or be um, you know uh, penny wise and, and pound foolish. What have you seen? Um, I, I think probably Jim. If there's anything people underestimate, it's it's the importance of their engagement. Mm. Um, you know, hospitals right now are, are definitely tightening not just um, budgets, but their staffing. And um, I think what we tend to see is the, the planning on that part of it. It doesn't do a lot of good to, to you know, put your plan together for your archive and then uh, sign, you know, it's what your plan go live date is and then come back and say, well, we just don't have the resources for it. Mm. And you put yourselves on hold because you're, you know, there is a, there is a significant ROI to get all those legacy systems set, set shut down. So, I think it becomes that question of, you know, how do you invest and where do you see the ROI coming in? So when you've got um, an ROI and um, it may be in your head what the ROI is, then you, you need to plan ahead that you're going to have to you're going to have to come up with resources to actually be engaged in that project. Now. Does it mean that you may think about third party bringing in a third party to handle your part of the project management? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but knowing that and it, you know planning for that up front is really important. If you even suspect that your your team is going to get pulled off to EMR implementation, you're going to not have the staff that's going to be able to concentrate on your archive. Then, then budget for bringing in a third party to to handle the project management on your side of it because that. Your your ROI in the end is absolutely going to be worth it, and I think that's something that you know when when we go through like the the data stewardship, we put together an estimated ROI, and it does require some honesty on you know um, yes. the client side as well to say sure. we don't have the resources or we're going to um, have to maybe extend here and it's going to cost us again. And that's that's another big area is if 
if they don't if they do not provide the resources when it's time for projects to start, they may very well um, have to extend the license on something that they're sitting on. And that is extremely costly for them to do. Um, a lot, it costs a lot more to do that than it does to provide the resources up front to get the project done. Um, because we've, you know, we've case studies have proven out with, with our customers the significant value and return on investment for them to actually engage in the project. and get their archiving done well and um i get in the worst case scenario uh it'd be a, a situation where a health system uh needs to do this they've never been through it before they don't have subject matter uh expertise they don't bring in subject matter expertise and the project fails just absolutely fails and they have to start over from square one in timelines and money and everything else. You really need to, obviously, it's a very complex thing. And mm -hmm. uh, there needs to be uh, some some level of expertise about what's important, what's not is important, and kind of what the critical path is. And, and when decisions have to be made. And even well, knowing right. what the decisions are. Yeah. Yeah, and, and starting that plan at the very beginning, and I think just laying it on the table, you know, we we provide them. Uh, this is this is all the the recommendation for the the people that are engaged. How much time uh, is estimate for them to spend? Every client's a little different on what their roadmap needs to be because they have a different variation of systems mm -hmm. that they're bringing. A combination of clinical, financial, also the system type that they're bringing. For example, mump systems are take a little longer, right, to get out of the for extracting that type of thing. But sure. the whole plan that gets put together for them is unique to them. Um, there are standard ways that we do the archiving, but uh, uh, each organization has their own individual mix uh, of what they've got ready or, or need to archive. And so that has to be taken into consideration too. You know two clients are identical when it comes to right. um, what their mix is of systems. Kind of hard to believe, Kel, but we're almost totally out of time. But before we say goodbye to our audience, uh, for our listeners that want to find out more about uh, MediQuant services, how do they get more information or reach out? Uh, well, they can reach out to um, to me directly, kpoltz at mediquant.com. Uh, also, um, go to our website, uh, mediquant.com. We've got links there. You can request case studies, and uh, you right. can also request services from from our link there. So we're happy to to talk talk to you. and. Hopefully, we can help you out. Let me uh, spell that out, that Mediquant. It is M-E-D-I-Q-U-A-N-T dot com. Well, to our audience, thanks for joining me on this episode of Take Chronicles. And, of course, I offer a special salute to my guest today, Kel Poltz of Mediquants. Kel, thanks for coming aboard today. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate the opportunity. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. That's healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tape Chronicles transmission ending now.